informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, hello, and great to have you along for the conversation once again here on AOA, Agriculture of America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Got a great show lined up for you here today. We're going to talk markets with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net here in just a moment. Coming up in segment two today, we're going to have a conversation with Michael Newland from the Propane Education and Research Council. Talk about some of the benefits of propane and uh, talk about the propane market as well here as we get into the winter months ahead. And then coming up in segment three, we are going to go over the latest ag economy barometer, the November numbers with Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue University. All that and more coming up here on the show today. I'll have a look at some news headlines at the end of the program as well. First up, though, let's take a look at markets and kind of a mixed bag so far on Thursday's trade. But we got some different dynamics we're keeping a close eye on here throughout the markets. Joining us now, Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Jim, good to uh, catch up with you once again. And I know there's been um, various news headlines kind of percolating throughout this grain and oil seed market. But then, you know, I look at the trade on Thursday and one has to wonder if we're maybe getting into some of that holiday type trading already, Jim. Well, there's a lot of stuff coming at the market right now, no doubt about it. But yes, we are moving into the holiday trade very, very quick. We are halfway through the month of December. Tomorrow, hard to believe that's where we're at. Good luck for everyone out there who has not started their Christmas shopping. you got about a week. But, yeah, if you look at the funds, traditionally, Jesse, when they get into the middle part of the month, they start, quote-unquote, closing their books. They kind of wrap down their trading for the year where they kind of know where they're sitting, so they will move to the sidelines. So the volume will dry up, but we still trade. So that will give us maybe exaggerated moves, plus or minus, if there is a headline that drives you know, that gets the market excited because they're just not going to have the volume either to buy against or sell against potentially. Well, talk about some of those headlines we're watching right now. I know a lot of the news out of Argentina this week, their devaluing of the peso, some of the economic moves being done by their new president, Javier Malay. That has been something that I know has had an impact in the soy complex here this week. Talk about that a little bit, Jim. Well, yeah, they have the new president. I mean, they're trying to get their inflation, which is just rampant, under control. His first step was to essentially devalue the currency in half. That caused that hard sell-off on midweek. And the reason being for that, you devalue the currency, the currency gets cheaper. It makes their product more competitive on the world market, and it encourages their producers who essentially – you know, selling dollars, convert back to pesos to go ahead and move grain. The market reacted very violently bearish to that, Jesse. But the reality is, at least near term, they do not have a lot of product to sell because of the drought last year. So, you know, they are going to be more competition with us with that weaker currency, per se, but probably not into the latter part of 2024 once they actually get this crop cycles um, harvested. So knee, knee jerk was a little bit negative, maybe a little bit overdone it. Now we're looking at north of them, what's going on in Brazil. They're still relatively dry. There are scattered showers there, but it's kind of a deja vu, kind of groundhog day. They keep saying, hey, there's going to be big rains coming that maybe change this weather pattern, but it's always in that five to seven day portion of the map, if not later. And it rolls forward, the rain just doesn't materialize. So weather in Brazil is still a problem. 
On the corn market, we got a lot of corn out there. It's no secret. Uh, you know, March corn hovered around that 480 mark here as we near the end of the week. I saw the headline, too, uh, out from Reuters uh, that China supposedly has grown a record corn crop. I wonder your thoughts if, if that headline had any sort of impact really in this corn market. I, I think overall corn just continues to kind of chop sideways here, getting uh, with all of this corn that we have out there on our hands, Jim. Well, exactly. I think the headline came out. I don't think it had a really big impact in it because the reality is, unlike the beans that China's been buying, they've been a very aggressive buyer of beans as well as wheat. They haven't come in and bought corn. Um, and this may be why they haven't bought a lot of corn from us. They did buy a lot of corn from the Brazilians earlier in the year or late last year. You know, So they got some of their needs covered. But at this point in time, you know, to get this corn market to really break out of its sideways range, you, you're going to have to get something that's going to change it to the bullish side to be maybe a surprise, heavy round of China buying. The reality is I think you're going to be a little bit cautious about the corn, Jesse. Look what, what's been going on. The September corn went off the board right around that 455, 460 level. Deese corn, last trading day today, it'll go off at noon. It's trading, same thing, right around that 450, 460 level. March corn, they're paying you, you know, 20, 22 cents to store the corn in the March. March is at 480. You can see where we're going. If we do not have a paradigm change in demand, more than likely, unfortunately, by the time we get the delivery in March, in February, for that March contract, you can see where I think it's going to be, somewhere around that 460 to 450 zone. And that pattern will continue to go. July corn, which is at five, if you carry that corn too long into the summertime, if nothing changes, and we're still talking big carryouts, unfortunately, the bear market scenario suggests July corn will be trading near that 450 to 460 as it goes into expiration. We're talking with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Jim, uh, thoughts on the Fed? We held interest rates steady as they wrapped up their December meeting on Wednesday afternoon, but then uh, indicated that uh, rate cuts are over and uh, we're going to see some of those uh, or rate hikes are over, I should say, and we could start to see some rate cuts getting into 2024. I know stocks rebounding uh, pretty nicely on that news. Gold shooting higher. What's your thoughts on, on the Fed news? It seemed like that was pretty expected on Wednesday. Well, the leaving it alone was expected. I think what really surprised people is what they do is they put out what they call the dot plot. They don't really come out and say they're going to cut rates, but they they ask the Fed participants and the Fed, of what do they think? And on average, they said, hey, we think we're going to cut rates at least three times in 2024. Now, the private estimates say it could be as much as six, but the reality is if they're raising rate or cutting rates, Jesse, what they're telling the market is we are done fighting inflation. We have slain that inflation dragon, we believe. And if you start lowering rates, that's going to encourage spending on houses, maybe cars, big ticket items. If you're a producer, it's going to cost less money to borrow money. So it's a very good thing. The net reaction, I think, is positive for agriculture and commodities is the dollar. If we're lowering our rate, interest rates, the money from the rest of the world doesn't flow in. The dollar broke hard yesterday. It's down hard again. That's bringing money into the metals. It's bringing money into the energy markets, and potentially that could even bring money into the grain market. Because when you look at commodities as a whole, they are very, very cheap. Stock market, if you own the Dow, congratulations. It made all-time highs yesterday. Another new high today. So Dow, you know, stocks to essentially commodities, I would argue the commodities might start attracting some more investor dollars as we go into 2024 for that reason. We've got about a minute, a couple thoughts in livestock cattle. Are we trying to, are we finally maybe finding a little bit of footing and support after all this volatility? Jim, what do you think? I think we're trying to. Um, 
like I said, I like to watch the crude oil in the stock, in the cattle market. They've been very well correlated. I think the crude oil is a good kind of analog of where the overall world economy is. If this crude oil starts to catch a bid here, I think that'll help the livestock. And the reality is when you've got a very strong economy, stock market making new highs, unemployment relatively low, hopefully that'll drive the consumer to continue to buy some of this beef, especially after this hard break. I know folks can reach out at agmarket.net or on the phone, 844-4-AG-MARKET. Jim McCormick, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on AOA today, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me on. All right, Jim McCormick there with agmarket.net. Coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Michael Newland from the Propane Education and Research Council. We're going to dive into some of the fundamentals in the propane market, logistics, and talk about some of the benefits that's on the way next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. On the December episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we learn about the Consider Corn Challenge 4 and finding new uses for corn as a feedstock with Troy Schneider and Sarah McKay from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. The Consider Corn Challenge is an open innovation competition that market development hosts every other year. We look to establish biomaterial products and technology that utilizes corn. So we're looking into the future. A lot of our winners to date, they've spanned a variety of different industries industrial uses. So that's things from bio-based plastics to replacing petroleum-based chemicals with these bio-based corn-based sources instead. If you take all previous 15 winners from Consider Corn Challenge 1 through 3, if they reach full commercialization with their products, the potential for additional corn demand would be 3.4 billion bushel. Learn more about the winning projects online at ncga.org and join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Ugh. 
Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, as we are talking propane here on the program today. Joining us now, he is the Director of Agriculture Business Development at the Propane Education and Research Council. Mike Newland is with us here on the program. Mike, it's great to talk with you. I hope you're doing well. I am. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. Well, let's dive in and uh, let's talk propane here on the show. And uh, just uh, real quick for folks who may not be aware of Perk and what you guys do, can you give us a little quick background on the Propane Education and Research Council, Mike? I'm happy to do that. Yeah. So the Propane Education Research Council, we call it PERC internally. It's must, uh, just a lot easier to do that. So we're an industry-funded organization. Uh, that means the propane industry funds our organization. We do really three key roles for the industry. We do all the safety and uh, tr- safety and uh, training for the um, industry, and that could be drivers, that could be all kinds of folks, anybody associated with the industry. We've got safety training available for them that we uh, produce ourselves. Second thing we do is consumer outreach, which we're doing today. We do uh, interviews, we do some trade show events throughout the season. Uh, and then the last thing we do, we actually will take a uh, look at offering grants to maybe a uh, private company who's developing a new piece of equipment that may run on our fuel. So we uh, get grant requests in, uh, we evaluate those uh, within our industry partners, and then we uh, choose or choose not to invest in, in maybe some supporting some of that new technology development. Awesome. All right. Fantastic. Glad to kind of set things up there about Perk a little bit. Let's talk through some different things. And just to start before we dive into some of the uh, re- reliability and environmental benefits and cost savings, et cetera. I know a lot of folks listening in are, are probably wondering about you know propane supplies here as we work through the winter months and thinking about logistics. Do we have any challenges, things like that, et cetera. What are you seeing on, the, on that side? Are, are things looking good in terms of supply and logistics right now? Yeah, they really are. In fact, our first big hurdle as we enter, you know, kind of leave summer, get into fall is grain drying. And we had a very light grain drying season as we looked at the total across the the country and across the Corn Belt. So uh, we didn't use a lot of gallons there. And uh, we track we track supply at at all the hubs. Um on a weekly basis, and gosh, we're we're well above the five-year averages at all those places. So supply is very good. You know, we're really getting into home heating season. We're starting to uh, heat uh, livestock buildings around the country, um, and so that's that's really the next phase to get through. We've had a pretty warm fall and pretty warm uh, beginning to the to the winter months. So we're we're in a really good place. Um, you know, the one thing that can change that is a very uh, cold, very long, prolonged cold snap. Uh, we don't see that in the future weather forecast anytime soon anyway. But, um, you know, we always encourage folks to uh, 
be prepared. Uh, don't don't let those tanks get uh, you know sub twenty five percent. A lot of folks are on tank monitoring with their local propane company these days. But if you're not, pay, pay attention to that. And uh, gosh, if there's a cold snap in the forecast, you know, and you're getting low, we'd encourage you to give your uh, propane supplier a couple days anyway, and uh, get on the phone with them, have a conversation, and get that tank filled before the cold snap actually gets here. So, uh, but right now, as we stand here today, we're in really good shape. And uh, I think there's some factors around the around the world that are helping that. You know, we've we had a big poll last year with uh, the issues and the war in in Europe and some of the energy challenges they were having. Uh, those things have really calmed down, and we don't see we don't see the pull. We just see normal exports happening um, with propane and the normal flow of exports. Okay. All right. Well, that is a good thing to know. And you know, I think in terms of just the reliability of propane too. Uh, on the farm or in our uh, rural homes, or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a lot of power that uh, folks need without, you know, worrying about connecting to the grid or, you know, peak energy times, et cetera, et cetera. The, the reliability and the environmental benefits too. Uh, maybe you can talk about this a little bit, Mike, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot of benefits to propane. Yeah, happy to do it. And, and one of those things I just talked about, you know, if you know you've got a cold snap, uh, go ahead and get that tank filled off. And I think, as much as uh, we talk about that, I'm not sure people understand that you've got a vessel outside your farm or outside your house that's full of energy. It's, uh, it just happens to be in the form of propane, and that's one of the, the only energy source right now that's uh, capable of doing that. So you're actually storing energy, uh, allows you to use it how you want, when you want, and I think that's the beauty of it and the, and the great thing. Um, you know, we, we power, gosh, backup power generators at uh, farms, at uh, critical housing, at critical buildings, and a lot of homes around the country. And I think that's a great, uh, great message and a great uh, testament to the resiliency of the fuel. And, um, you know, you mentioned environmental benefits, and people don't really pay attention to that fact. But, uh, gosh, if you're used to fuel on the farm, you've got double wall tanks or you have containment around those tanks. Propane tank doesn't have that, doesn't require that. And uh, it's an environmentally friendly fuel, uh, cannot contaminate groundwater or the soil. So we don't have any uh, containment requirements in that regard. It's very unique in that respect. So uh, we we feel very good about it. Uh, We feel feel very good about the the fuel, how it's used, and that it's used safely. Well, another thing, too, you know, we've been watching the headlines coming out of COP28 overseas here the last couple of weeks, and a lot of the talk surrounding clean energy and uh, climate, uh, you know, climate discussions, carbon emissions, et cetera. But, you know, with propane, too, it's one of the lowest carbon emissions per million BTUs, isn't it? It is. We can have probably an entire interview just about that, but it really is. Uh, Carbon intensity of of conventional propane is around 80 uh, depending on what state you're in, how it's produced, where it's produced, and so on and so forth. But uh, let's just call it 80. And um, if you look at the electric grid around the U.S., we actually have lower carbon intensity scores in uh, over half the states, I think about 35 of the states around the country. So we uh, we follow those uh scores for the electricity uh, around the country. We feel very good about our fuel. For those people who like paying attention to uh, that green message, we have uh, renewable propane that's being produced today. 
It comes out of renewable diesel and renewable sustainable aviation fuel facilities. So there's a uh, renewable stream of propane that's captured in those processes as well. And instead of having a carbon intensity score of roughly 80, you would have a carbon intensity score uh, sub 40 on those renewable streams of propane. So it's clean today. It's uh, cleaner than almost any fuel that's commercially available today as it is, and it's only going to get cleaner in the future. Well, we are talking today with Mike Newland. He's the Director of Agriculture Business Development at the Propane Education and Research Council. Mike, uh, some final thoughts before we wrap it up, too. I know, uh, obviously, there's a lot of versatility when it comes to propane. uh, And as we talked about, supply is good. Didn't see a whole lot of grain drying this year in many areas. I think a lot of stuff kind of dried down on its own this year. So that was an interesting nugget around harvest season. But uh, thinking about, you know, the use of propane on our farm and, and moving forward into the new year, I know folks, of course, they could stay close with their local energy retailer for that. Or, you know, a lot of the work you guys do, they could find it online at propane.com, can't they? Absolutely. Propane.com for all things propane. And I guess the one thing, if I if I may, I'd like to point out, yeah. anybody that's buying a new piece of equipment on the farm, uh, there's most likely an incentive from our organization back directly to you. So go to propane.com for more research, propane.com slash farm incentive to find out all those details that's a good thing to keep in mind appreciate you sharing that Uh, before we let you go mike any other final thoughts you would share about uh, anything we talked about or or anything else you'd want to add yeah i think most people around the farm or in the community really think of us as grain drying fuel on the farm we can do some pretty unique things as well uh one of those things we're really highlighting this year is irrigation engines uh that that uh market's really um dominated by electricity and i know here in ohio where i sit our electricity rates have gone up 35 percent in the calendar year so we're uh, more than cost effective in that uh, space now so if you're doing any irrigating uh, and you're getting ready to replace that uh, power on the pivot maybe take a look at uh, propane we think we've got a, a better mousetrap for you and probably a cheaper one as well good thoughts to consider again find more at propane.com Mike Newland, Director of Agriculture Business Development at the Propane Education and Research Council. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on Agriculture of America today, and we'll look forward to having you on again in the future. Thanks so much. You bet. Thank you. And once again, great stuff there. Good conversation with Mike Newland from the Propane Education and Research Council. Well, the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer out just last week. I brought it up on uh, the program here as well last week as we saw that farmer sentiment rose for the second straight month. We're going to dive into the numbers and talk about it. We'll have a conversation with Dr. James Minter, Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and Professor at the uh, Department of Agricultural Economics at Purdue University. He heads up the Ag Economy Barometer, and he will join us next for that conversation here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Back with more right after this.
Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this market update. Grains and oil seeds are mostly higher this morning, save for the bean meal. Stock features also rallied sharply after yesterday's Federal Reserve made no changes to interest rates. In fact, it made very few changes to its policy statement. Now, following two consecutive down days, soybeans and bean oil are both higher today. Pressure on Tuesday came from the sagging meal market, which just since November 15th had plunged $63 per contract as long funds reduced their exposure. Now, in the meantime, due to weak products, U.S. crush incentives declined as well, with the value of crushed versus uncrushed beans dropping to $1.77 per bushel and the lowest level in more than two years. In Friday's NOPA report for November, however, traders will be looking for a near-record crush number, with the estimate ranging from 186 to 188 million bushels. That's compared to 179 bushels of November last year. Rumors did float around yesterday about China picking up another three to six cargoes of old-crop U.S. beans, so we will watch for a sale announcement for confirmation. Even though soy products have been under heavy pressure, the demand for both does remain strong. Wheat markets have been a bit erratic recently, seemingly up one day and down the next. All three wheat markets are rebounding early today with the Paris milling wheat contract lower for the fourth time in the past five days. Now, the big plunge in the U.S. dollar to a four-month low has provided some support for those wheat markets. U.S. corn is currently enjoying its status as the world's cheapest feed grain as Brazil's internal price hits the highest level in seven months. Now, the weather in Brazil will feature five more days of excessive heat and dryness in the northern two-thirds of Brazil, but around December 20th or so, that pattern is expected to shift. Yesterday's EIA report showed a still stout ethanol grind with 1.074 million barrels per day, while ethanol inventory rose by 3.1%. The VIX is trading below 12 this morning, while the dollar index is leaking lower and crude oil prices are around 3% higher. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. (sighs) All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey, we're pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Might have to start a band. (laughs) I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. (laughs) Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. 
Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, just last week, we got the latest Ag Economy Barometer numbers from Purdue University and CME Group out for the month of November. Farmer sentiment continued to rise last month. We're going to talk about the numbers and the latest barometer. Joining us now, he heads up the Ag Economy Barometer, Dr. James Minter, Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and Professor in the Department of Ag Economics at Purdue University. And uh, Jim, thanks for joining us once again this month here on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, you're welcome. Appreciate the opportunity. Let's uh, dive in. And first off, for starters, uh, the, those uh, November results uh, looked like farmer sentiment continued to rise just a little bit. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, our survey was conducted in the middle of November. I think it was November 13th through the 17th. And at that point, uh, people were a little bit more optimistic than they had been a month earlier. I think the barometer index itself was up five points, uh, which is about a 12% increase compared to this time last year. Um, and this current condition index was up as well. The future expectation index was up a little bit, not very much. So the biggest mover really was people felt a little bit better about their current situation on their farming operation than they did a month or, or earlier. And, you know, that was the second month in a row. We've seen some improvement there. So I think people are in general just feeling a little stronger. And I think, you know, if you think about the composition of our survey, it's stratified based on the value of farm production. And, and as a result, um, Every month, over half of the people in the survey have a corn or soybean enterprise. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what took place this fall at harvest time for many of those producers, uh, yields were pretty strong, uh, stronger certainly than a lot of people expected. Uh, if you go back to late spring, early summer, when it was so dry and people were very concerned, but even later in the growing season, people continued to be concerned about dry weather impacting yields. And yet this fall, especially in the Eastern Corn Belt, but really in, in much of the Corn Belt, yields were better than expected. And I think we've kind of picked that up. And, you know, that was kind of confirmed at the end of the month when USDA released their estimate of net farm income for 2023. They raised it $10 billion compared to their expectations uh, earlier in the year when they released, uh, I think it was late August or beginning of September when they released their previous forecast. So I think they were kind of picking up the same thing, uh, a little stronger income situation a big chunk of that coming out of better than expected yields and, and people felt better about it. Well, as we move forward to, I know we're nearing the end of the year, of course, and uh, part of the uh, survey is the Farm Financial Performance Index. And you look at that number, that was up a little bit in the November numbers. But, you know, thinking about better than expected yields and just some overall optimism out there, uh, one has to wonder if that could maybe hold here through the holiday season. That's something to think about here, I think, Jim. Yeah, it is. And uh, how long will the glow of, of stronger than expected yields in the fall kind of last? I think that's a good question. I don't think we know. We're in the process of uh, collecting data and starting to do some analysis on the December report. So we'll know more here in a, in a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, if you look at it, uh, the Farm Financial Performance Index, as you mentioned, was was up uh, a little bit this month, 95 versus 92 last month. So that's not a big change. But the more important change is if you go back to last spring, that index was all the way down to 76. So we're up 19 points compared to where people thought they were going to be back in, in May. So, you know, bottom line, I think 2023 turned out to be a better year than a lot of people were maybe thinking earlier in this in the year. And again, if you compare uh, the USDA's net farm income forecast for 2023 in inflation adjusted terms, I looked at that relative to the last 10 years. 
even though this year's number is lower than last year, uh, I think down about $40 billion in inflation-adjusted terms compared to 2022, if you compare that to the 10-year average from, say, 2010 to 2019, it's 38% higher than that 10-year average. So when you when you look, uh, when you're making comparisons about farm income, uh, how you feel about the, your farming operation, a lot of it depends on what your anchor point is. And if your anchor point is last year, yeah, farm income in 23, lower than last year. If your anchor point is longer term than that, 23 is a pretty good year for most folks. I wonder too, and I'm looking at uh, the Farm Capital Investment Index that was part of uh, the November survey too. And we talk about the strong cash flows uh, from, you know, we got uh, better than expected yields out there. So maybe a little more money on the table, potentially, et cetera. But I have to wonder, and, and we'll get to this in a minute, talking about high interest rates and higher input costs. I have to wonder how much producers could potentially be you know, putting money into capital investments here before the end of the year when they know that they're going to have to uh, pay for a crop next year. And so maybe some of that um, some of that cash that they're able to put in the bank, maybe they're going to have to um, hang on to that and not put it into capital investments. I, I wonder about that as well, Jim. Yeah, so the Farm Capital Investment Index was up a little bit this month. This month's reading was 42 if you compare it to a year ago, that index was all the way down to 31. So people are feeling a little bit better about capital investments and whether or not now is a good time to make those kind of investments um, relative to where they felt a year ago. But 42 is not a great number uh, for that farm capital investment index. You know, if you go back, I think three years, that index was up above 90. So people are being a little bit cautious there. And, uh, and you know, as you mentioned, uh, the cash flow situation has kind of shifted a little bit. Um, when we started asking in July, people who say it's a good time to make large investments in their farming operation, why they felt that way. The first couple of times we asked that question in July and August, 40% or a little over 40% of the people in the survey said it was because they had strong cash flows. That percentage reporting strong cash flows uh, as a good reason to invest has been declining since then. And I think this month it was down around 20 or 22% that shows that. So the other thing that's changed over that same time frame, though, is the other reason people are saying it might be a good time to make inv large investments in the farm operation is the inventories of farm machinery have been increasing. Mm. And that suggests maybe the possibility that people feel like they can get some strike some better deals uh, as those inventories climb. And, you know, I have to say, I was just out in Indiana traveling yesterday to, to speak uh, to an audience in southern Indiana, and I drove by several farm machinery dealers. It's, it's a very apparent that the inventories have changed a lot when you drive by those uh, dealerships compared to where we were, for example, last year and especially a couple of years ago. That's a great point you raise. And I know it's kind of that time of year to tax season and more. Will we see uh, some of those investments maybe in some equipment and things like that before the end of the year? We'll have to see, or maybe it's something that happens right away at the beginning of the year. We're talking with uh, Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue University, looking at the November Ag Economy Barometer. And I mentioned this too, and another question looking ahead to next year, biggest concerns for your farming operation. And I look at the results for the November survey, higher input costs were at the top, rising interest rates, and then lower crop and livestock prices following along in third there. And I have to think, um, as you look at that data, and as you travel around too, you're hearing a lot of those concerns, as am I, Jim. 
Yeah, the interesting thing is uh, the higher input cost is still the number one thing in the survey with respect to concerns for the upcoming year. But the percentage of people choosing that did change as we move through 2023. At the beginning of the year, over 40% of the people in the survey said that was their top concern. On this most recent survey, it was down to roughly a third of the people in the survey. Um, and then as you mentioned, number two is the rising interest rates. Uh, that was important at the beginning of the year, but it became more important as we progressed through the year. In this last survey, I think roughly one out of four people said that was their top concern. And then lower crop and livestock prices was chosen by one out of five. So I think we don't have data to support this, but my gut feel is looking over the course of my career, for example, over the last 40 plus years, if you think about top concerns among most farmers, historically, it's probably been focused much more on lower crop and or livestock prices mm -hmm. and not so much on higher input cost. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've had a little trouble understanding, given the relatively strong income levels of the last couple of years, is why farmer sentiment is as weak as it is. I think the fact that people are very worried about input costs, which is a very unusual thing to worry about, I think that might explain it. <clears throat> I think we've got things a little topsy-turvy here with respect to what people are worried about. That level of uncertainty is very unusual. And I think it's contributed to, to weaker sentiment than we otherwise might see based on the income levels we've experienced through these last couple of years. Because if you go back to 2022, that's record high income level. Uh, 2023, lower than 22, but still a very strong income year. And yet we've got relatively weak farmer sentiment. That's a great thought. It's something I didn't think about either. And uh, I wonder, we'll just have to, I think, wait and see here over the next few uh, weeks and months ahead to see what exactly uh, comes from some of those thoughts. Uh, Jim, before we wrap it up today, final thoughts uh, from you on the November uh, barometer. I know we, we haven't touched on the farmland value indexes yet. Maybe you want to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, the short-term index was flat uh, with prior months. You know, it came in at a reading of 125. It's been hovering in that 125 to 126 range, really going back now for six months in a row. Um, so the index is above 100. That means more people in the survey expect farmland values to rise in the upcoming 12 months than expect it to go down. So it's positive in that sense. But it's clearly less positive than it was, for example, uh, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, that index was, depending on the month you chose, uh, in between about 155 and 160. And if you look at the raw responses to the question where you just look at the percentage of people saying they expect to see farmland values rise, at one point that was up over 60% of the people in the survey said they thought farmland values would increase over the next uh, 12 months. Uh, this month, that percentage was down in the low 30s. So people are still cautiously optimistic about farmland values, but they are definitely less optimistic than they were, for example, two years ago. And so I think going forward, you know, one of the questions you have to have is whether or not we've seen a plateau in farmland values. The survey itself doesn't quite say that, but it suggests that that could be on the near horizon. Jim, thanks for joining us on AOA this month and have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. We'll talk to you in January. Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners as well. Well, thank you very much as well. Again, Dr. Jim Mintert with Purdue University. He heads up the Ag Economy Barometer. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines, including ag groups concerned about the potential uh, repeal of China's 
permanent normal trade relations status. We're going to talk about that more coming up here after the break as we'll be back with more on AOA right after this. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids right here in our own backyard are facing hunger every day? Without healthy food, it's harder to grow, to thrive, to feel their best. The impact when children don't have enough to eat is tremendous because when you're hungry and your basic needs aren't being met, you cannot learn. Every child deserves to be fed. This is a problem we know how to solve. Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love. Breakfast in the classroom contributes to kids being more focused, which leads to higher grades, and simply just their well-being. Thank you! Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at HelpNoKidHungry.org. On the December episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we learn about the Consider Corn Challenge 4 and finding new uses for corn as a feedstock with Troy Schneider and Sarah McKay from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. The Consider Corn Challenge is an open innovation competition that market development hosts every other year. We look to establish biomaterial products and technology that utilizes corn. So we're looking into the future. A lot of our winners to date, they've spanned a variety of different industries industrial uses. So that's things from bio-based plastics to replacing petroleum-based chemicals with these bio-based, corn-based sources instead. If you take all previous 15 winners from Consider Corn Challenge 1 through 3, if they reach full commercialization with their products, the potential for additional corn demand would be 3.4 billion bushel. Learn more about the winning projects online at ncga.org and join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from 
Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted car. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for sticking with us here today on the program. Let's take a look at news headlines. And ag groups are concerned about the potential repeal of China's permanent normal trade relations status. A coalition of agricultural organizations representing farmers sent a letter to the U.S. Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party regarding permanent normal trade relations with China. Now, the committee is considering recommending that Congress repeal China's PNTR status, and the group say the impact would have sharply negative consequences. They say in a letter, quote, we respectfully urge the committee not to recommend revoking China's PNTR status. The negative consequences for American farmers, ranchers, and food producers would be profound, and the economic impact on American workers and rural communities would be felt for many years. These ag exports are critical to America's farmers and rural communities, end quote. Now, they also point out that China is now the largest buyer of U.S. food and agricultural products, purchasing 19% of U.S. exports. And additionally, they say retaliatory tariffs in 2018 and 2019 led to losing billions in states across the country. Well, Senator John Tester from Montana and Mike Rounds of South Dakota going to file a Congressional Review Act resolution that would overturn the decision to lift a longstanding ban on beef imports from Paraguay. Now, both senators say the Biden administration made the wrong decision. Tester says, quote, resuming beef imports from a country with a recent history of foot and mouth disease is bad news for consumers and producers, quote unquote. Around says U.S. farmers produce the world's safest, highest quality, and most affordable beef. Now, USDA's decision to resume imports relies on an analysis completed in 2018, and American inspectors haven't been in the country since 2014. 
Now, in addition to suspending beef imports from Paraguay, the bipartisan bill would also require establishing a working group to evaluate the threat to food safety and animal health posed by Paraguayan beef. The bipartisan legislation is supported by RCAF USA, the United States Cattlemen's Association, and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, Congress is about to go home for Christmas, but there will be no farm or spending bills among its Christmas presents this year. The old farm bill got extended for the rest of the new fiscal year in a a stopgap spending bill. But House Ag Chair G.T. Thompson argues. It is not and should not be in lieu of a comprehensive and thoughtful bipartisan five-year reauthorization of the farm bill. However, significant headwinds exist. These range from the stark politics of the 118th Congress to the costs and funding constraints across the 12 titles of the Farm Bill. Now, it's made worse by the continued House-Senate impasse over spending bills complicating the path for a new Farm Bill. Senate Appropriations Chair Patty Murray. We are 38 days from the first government funding deadline that the Speaker set. I don't think the American people want to see food safety inspectors or air traffic controllers furloughed. But if we want to make progress on our full year funding bills, that we need Speaker Johnson to get back to the full top line spending deal that House Republicans negotiated themselves. But Speaker Johnson, Speaker Mike Johnson, claims it's Senate Democrats who are violating the top line figure brokered by his predecessor with President Joe Biden. The Senate has has been uh, projecting and writing well above that to the, I don't know, billions of dollars. Um, That's not what the law says. And so I came in as the new speaker and I said, again, as the rule of law team, we're going to follow the law. So that's where the negotiation stands. We're awaiting a volley from the other side, should there be one. But the House has done its job. Passing, Johnson says, seven of the 12 annual spending bills while sidelining several and defeating that for USDA over policy riders and spending cuts. Well, the National Corn Growers Association announced the winners of the 2023 National Corn Yield Contest. The group of farmers had impressive yields and proved the ingenuity and resilience of U.S. farmers. In its 59th year, the National Corn Yield Contest saw almost 7,000 entries from farmers in 46 states of the 10 production categories, Class J had verified yields averaging 269 bushels an acre. Now, the yields included a national record of 623.8 bushels per acre. Wow. From uh, David Hula of Virginia, beating the previous record of 619.1 bushels per acre. Harold Woolley, NCGA president, says, quote, year after year, the National Corn Yield Contest remains the most popular program for NCGA members. It's an opportunity for farmers across the country to put their skills to the test and show the true craftsmanship it takes to grow a successful crop, end quote. A complete list of the 2023 national and state winners is available online at ncga.com. Well, if you're planning on attending the Potato Expo in Austin, Texas in early January and haven't yet registered, there is a fast-approaching deadline that you should be aware of. We have a deadline coming up on Friday, December 15th. There will be a bump up in registration fees for the Expo. And for this year's Expo, National Potato Council Vice President of Industry Relations and Events, Holly Alexander, says things are really coming together. We're really excited about the show this year. It's the second time we've been in Austin. We have a record-breaking number of exhibitors, 
and space that we have filling up over 100,000 square feet in our exhibit hall. So it's a great opportunity, like always, to get together at the start of the new year. And this year it's going to be even bigger and better than previous years. And the two-day event includes a trade show, breakout sessions with the latest industry data and information, potato cook-offs, and plenty of socializing. We're really excited about the show this year. It's the second time we've been in Austin. We have a record-breaking number of exhibitors and space that we have filling up over 100,000 square feet in our exhibit hall. So it's a great opportunity, like always, to get together at the start of the new year. And this year it's going to be even bigger and better than previous years. And you can go to their website, potato-expo.com, for more information and to see the latest announcements. Again, potato-expo.com. That's National Potato Council Vice President of Industry Relations and Events, Holly Alexander. Well, that is going to do it for AOA here today. Coming up on our next program, we're going to have a conversation with Andrew Louts from the Bipartisan Policy Center about some of the scenarios in front of us in terms of getting the appropriations bills passed, the new farm bill and more. We'll also have a conversation about the farm economy with Michael Doherty from Business Innovation Solutions. That is all coming up here on the next AOA. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now. Cancer Research is saving lives. Cancer Research, funded by the V Foundation, is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love, 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up.